Again, our New Testament scripture comes from Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 7. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. Amen and amen. I want to talk a little bit about rejoicing for power. Rejoicing for power. Um, something I'm always thinking about, because I hear it all the time, is, is uh, being happy. Uh, are you happy in everything that you've done? I saw a, uh, I was reminded of a song that I was listening to in a uh, young man was trying to court another young lady that was already seeing somebody and one of the questions that he asked to the lady was are you happy in, a, in, a, in, a, in an attempt to take her away from uh, this other person he asked are you happy and that is what we think about oftentimes when we are in a relationship is does this person make us happy we uh, do things in our day to day life and part of the reason that we do those things is to make ourselves happy. We like the way it feels. We uh, like the way uh, doing the, the pleasure that we derive from those things. Uh, there's a philosopher by the name of John Stuart Mill that talks about utilitarianism. And utilitarianism is basically doing what you feel is good. We do what makes us happy. We are always in the pursuit of happiness. I think that is why uh, Thomas Jefferson put those words in the Declaration of Independence when he said, the life, we are here for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is something we are always chasing. And if things don't make us happy, we tend not to do them anymore. We tend to move on to the next thing because it doesn't make us happy. Um, They do studies that say... uh, that the, the pursuit of happiness, though, is actually not fulfilling. Uh, when you try to do things that make you happy, it often runs its course, and you are no longer happy about it. Uh, some people think if I were to make more money, I would be happier. But studies actually show that once you get to a certain amount of money, and that, that number is actually, they say, around $75,000 a year, but once you get there, no matter how much more money you make, whether it be another 75000 or whether it be $75 million, those people are no happier than the next person. Uh, there was another study that revealed that people tend to actually be the happiest in their 50s. Uh, when they watch people over the course of their life, when they're a child, of course they're happy. You know, there's, they don't have to worry about bills and credit and going to work every day. But then once they reach adulthood, well, legal adulthood, as they say, because it's the age 18, um, they, their happiness sort of peaks 
and then it goes down. And then it starts to go back up overall about when they start to hit their 50s. And the reason that they have learned that is people have become happier in their 50s and then are happy until they go on to glory during those times is because by the time they reach their 50s, they have learned to appreciate the little things. When you are, and I, and I, I am a victim of that myself, I'm looking for the next ladder of promotion, I'm looking for the next way to achieve, I'm looking for something to do better, and I've had to learn to appreciate the little things. Stop and smell the roses and everything, because all of those, tri- those trials and troubles that I've had, I've learned that as soon as they go away, I'm instantly feeling better. I can be stressed out about a situation until I come up with the solution to said situation, and then I immediately feel better, and nothing's actually changed, only how I feel about it. So they say that it is, it is, it is how you change your mind about certain things is whether or not you make it happy. I was reminded of a picture I saw, and it had a character, a little stick figure, holding a jar full of happiness. And someone else walked up to this, the, another character walked up to this uh, in the drawing and said, where did you get that from? And the person holding the jar of happiness said, I made it myself. We have to learn to be able to create our own happiness. We have to learn to be able to see how we think about certain things, and that will determine whether or not we are happy. I'm reminded of the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, a very good movie uh, starring a famous actor, Will Smith, and he plays somebody by the name of Christopher Gardner, and Christopher Gardner is someone who literally went from being homeless to a multi-millionaire stock trader over the course of time. He fought his way up and fought his way through the job, and it's a good movie. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend you see it, because not only did he do this while he, he had a child he had to be responsible for while he was doing this and he was pursuing happiness. But he says in the movie, it was right then that he started thinking about Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence and the part about our right to life, liberty, and this pursuit of happiness. And I remember, this is still Christopher Gardner talking, thinking, how did he know to put the pursuit in there? That maybe happiness is something that we can only pursue and maybe we can never actually have it. But how did he know that? We, get so, we spend all of our time pursuing things and chasing things and trying to go after people because we think that'll make us happy. Uh, this time of year is when a lot of people often go into debt. Spending money they don't have to get things they don't need to impress people who don't like them anyway. But it's the chase. It's the pursuit. We get so consumed with the pursuit that we forget to focus on what makes us happy. Really happy. And so in this text we have this rejoice for power and and what what apostle paul is talking to the church in philippi he is giving them some tools for their own power and those tools for their own power and one of those things that he's given them is something that will 
truly make them happy. It will give them joy, not necessarily happiness. It will be a state that they're in and not just something in reaction to something else because being happy oftentimes is reactive. We need something to make us happy. We need an event to happen. We need someone to say certain things. But when you are joyful, that is a a content state that you're in no matter what the situation is. And so he he breaks it down, and he breaks it down in, in a prayer first off. And in that prayer, he tells us that there are two rules that need to be observed in order for us to get this power to function. Uh, first off, you should, we would never be stressful in anything. And the second thing is we have to be thankful in everything. Uh, never be stressful in anything, and we ought to be thankful in everything. I'm often reminded on my job uh, when these kind of things happen because Usually when I'm working, I'm working in a particularly high-stress situation. Everyone else around me is high-stress. There'll be a particular meeting, and you'll have uh, the president of marketing from ExxonMobil and the president of marketing from uh, American Express and the president of marketing from Shell all in the middle of this meeting, and the audiovisual equipment stopped working. And they've called me to come fix it. And something that I've learned in those situations is, is... I can't be stressed out because if I'm stressed out, I will lose focus. Furthermore, if I'm stressed out about the situation, whether I'm stressed out or not, that does not make the equipment get fixed any faster. And so I try to take that approach not only to my day job, but take my approach to that in everything that I do. Not to say that stressful situations won't come, but how I choose to handle those situations, how I choose to respond to those situations will make me operate just a little bit better in those things. And so we must not be stressful in everything. And then we also have to be thankful, thankful for the opportunity, thankful for every breath you take because it's not promised, thankful for food on the table and clothes on our backs and roofs over our heads. We must be thankful for everything. Because everything that we have is not promised. And not only is it not promised, we can lose it in the blink of an eye. We can have a nice car, a nice house. We can have all of these nice things and understand that with somebody hitting the wrong keystroke, it can all go away. Somebody putting your name on the robocall list, somebody enrolling you in a program, those things that you're holding on to, can go away at the blink of an eye. But you know what won't go away? The love of Jesus Christ. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He won't leave us hanging dry. He will not make a mistake. So we ought not be joyful in those things, those material things, because all of that can go away. Rejoice. Rejoice. The theme of joy is is prominent all over Philippians. The command rejoice can always be obeyed, even when there's conflict going on, there's adversity, there are tough times, there's deprivation when you're losing things, because joy doesn't rest on favorable circumstances. Your joy should come from the Lord. And Paul uses rejoice over and over again throughout Philippians to reemphasize the point, says in 118, what then? Only that in every way, whatever the pretense of truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. And then you slide on down to 2.16 and he says, holding fast 
to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain and going in there 217 he says yes I am being poured out as a drink offering and the sacrifice of the service of your faith I am glad and I rejoice with you all in 218 he says for the same reason you should also be glad and rejoice with me going further down in 228 he says therefore I have sent him more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful in 31 it says and all for Christ finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things to you is not tedious but for you it is safe and then in 3 3 it says for we are of the circumcision the select few that are put apart who worship God in spirit rejoice in Christ Jesus and I have no confidence in the flesh he says rejoice over and over and over again in Philippians and he says it over and over and over again in all other texts that he wrote because he is joyful and the amazing part about him constantly saying rejoice, 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 especially in Philippians is that he wrote this while he was in prison. I don't know about you all, but I would find it very challenging to be able to not only be joyful in prison, but be telling everybody else they need to rejoice too. He's in jail suffering for preaching the gospel and is still telling the rest of these churches, yes, I am in jail, but rejoice. I am content whether abased or abound. He is content. He is joyful in these situations. So if Paul can be joyful in jail and if Paul can encourage other people to be joyful in jail, who am I to get mad at somebody who didn't speak to me? Who am I to have a bad day about some sort of attitude that somebody else had? Be joyful. And so he says to be joyful. And not only that, he says uh, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says let your moderation. Some translations say meekness. Some translations say forbearance. Some translations say gentleness. Of, it, it, it is a, but the Greek word is basically denoting a spirit that rises above offenses. Yes, that person would have offended you, but you ought to be able to take the high road and rise above it. Because if you don't take the high road and rise above it, they are, as my mom continues to tell me, living in your head rent free. They are capable of controlling your mental state. And then they're on to the next thing. I would guarantee that most of the people that we get mad about don't spend as much time thinking about us as we do them. Now, there may be some of them out there that do, but they may say or do something ignorant and go on about their business and you mad for the next week. But you have to arise above it. That is the secret of joy, not letting other people control you. And I find it hard, amazing, again, to be reasonable, gentle, magnanimous is some translations of, of the word in the Greek because the people at that time were in a group of, uh, uh, in an area where you had to be loyal to Rome. Uh, to be loyal to Rome meant you had to have faith in, believe in, worship the gods of the Roman Empire. 
there was not always a time where those who were following Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior were in the majority. Matter of fact, during these times, they were in the minority. And not only were they in the minority, but everybody around them kind of looked at them strange, treated them like atheists because they were worshiping their own gods and you didn't worship their gods. And so because those people didn't worship their gods, they thought they were atheists. And that was the best of the, the, the problems because the worst of the problems meant that you might die. There were people running into houses where people were worshiping Jesus and getting killed. Being a Christian meant you had to give up everything you knew, your lifestyle, your status in the community, and possibly your life. But yet and still, these people had to be gentle and meek and magnanimous and joyful. During these situations, while these people were trying to kill them. So in other words, Paul is arguing pretty much, he's urging the community to be accommodating, to be kind, to be big-hearted to those who probably considered these people traitors. Would you be willing to do all of that for Jesus? And not only would you be willing to do all of that for Jesus, would you be willing to do all that for Jesus and still be joyful about it? We've lost the term martyr to extremists. People that are willing to try to sacrifice their life to try to harm others. The martyr, the term, was originally used because those were the people that were standing in Roman courts being put on trial for their beliefs in Jesus and knowing that they were going to be killed. And as some of my theologian professors have told me, those who were on trial and going through these things were happy to do it. They knew when they believed in Jesus they might get arrested, spend some time in jail, and then be publicly executed but they were happy to do so. They were joyful. Being joyful to people who don't have your best interests at hand. Almost like sitting at the table eating dinner with someone who's going to betray you. Jesus was able to do it. Said the one that's going to dip his hand in the cup is the same as me. He's at the table eating with him. So we have to be able to do that because everybody we sit down to eat with is not going to have our best interests in hand. But we have to be able to rise above it. And that doesn't mean you are a pushover. That doesn't mean you are weak about it. But you don't have to start it. Uh, but it says, uh, let your moderation be known to all men in the text. For the Lord is at hand. Again, I love this phrase. I love it when Jesus says it. I love it when everybody says it because there's been this time that we have come to think that the kingdom of God is at hand and it means that something is coming. But it means more than something is coming. What are we doing now? What are we doing within arm's reach to help our fellow man? The Lord is at hand. Not just coming in the future as we, as we worship during this period of Advent, but what are we doing at hand? Amen. The things that we'll do close to each other, you all will preach more sermons than I ever will. You all will reach more people than I ever will. Yes, I preach for a living. Yes, I'm in seminary. Yes, I am in a pulpit on Sunday. But people 
don't make all of their decisions about Jesus on a Sunday. They go to a particular church because of their coworker that's sweet and nice and always calm and didn't let the, the boss being mean to people get them mad. Well, why, are this, why is this person so happy? Why is this person doing what they do? That, 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 that it's not just that. It's the people on the football team. It's the people on the track team. It's the people at work. It's the people at school. You all will have more access to people than I ever will. There are plenty of people that are making their decision whether or not to join a church or whether or not to get to know this Jesus and the pardon of their sins based on their everyday life, not based on a 30-minute sermon once a week. But the Lord is at hand. And then he tells us not to be anxious about anything. That word is also used uh, for concern for others. It's concern, it's anxiety, it's troublesome. Uh, going back to the example of my job, one of the other things that is, is uh, sort of a, a, a benefit and, and is that when I am calm during these situations, everybody else is calm. If I were to enter the situation, even though I'm here to help them and they've called for help, if I were to panic, that would make the situation even worse. And we could take it even more complicated than audiovisual equipment. If you were to go to the doctor for help and the doctor panicked at what they saw, you might look for another doctor. That doesn't make the situation good. So we need to be anxious for nothing. But in everything, I like that it says in everything, because everything leaves no qualifier. Everything leaves no room for negotiation. Everything leaves no out clause, no fine print in everything. Through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything, he says prayer. It doesn't say what kind of prayer. Yes, we have different types of prayer, thanksgiving and supplication and different things of that and intercession in everything. Prayer. They're all together. Presenting requests for prayer provides an outlet for anxiety and doing so with thanksgiving is an antidote to worry. There are things that will be going on and if you just pray about it, you'll feel much better. I've heard the saying that prayer does not change things. They said prayer changes you until the things change. You may not want, you may not get the answer you want right then, but if you pray about it, I guarantee you will feel better about it. And if it doesn't work, keep trying. But we have to let everything be made known to God. We can't just pray when we bless our food. And, and pray when we come to church we have to be prayerful about everything we do we have to be prayerful about our jobs we have to be prayerful about our communication we have to be prayerful about the decisions that we make going forward we ought to invite God into everything Amen. if we don't I imagine that, that we can't wonder why the reciprocity is not there if we only call somebody when we need them are they willing to help us all the time 
It's not to say that God won't help you, but I'm saying we ought to spend more time putting into the relationship as opposed to getting out of the relationship. Prayer invokes an outlet. It's an outlet for anxiety and it's an antidote to worry. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him. Casting all your prayers upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, sinking whom he may devour. Resist him, be steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings that you are experiencing by your brotherhood in the world, are being experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Casting all your cares upon God. Again, in everything, prayer. And that goes back to that whole people getting happy more so in their 50s uh, and even being anxious for nothing. Something I've learned taking a lot of psychology classes lately is they say that your uh, brain doesn't even finish really developing until you're 27. And that your actual like hardwired personality doesn't really come in until you're about 40 because by then you're able to keep an even kill with what's going on. You've been able to see everything. You've been able to, as one person said, learn the trades before you learn the tricks. You've been around. You've seen some things. You're experiencing those things. And I'm reminded of that when I think about this roaring lion because I watch a lot of animal shows, Animal Planet, National Geographic. I watch animals on YouTube. I like to watch animals, especially in their wild state. And one thing I've learned about a lion is a lion that roars doesn't actually do the hunting. The lion's job when they roar is to scare you off of your path. They scare the prey off of their path and then the other lions jump on it and, and, and devour it. And so if you're anxious for nothing and you hear that roar, you will not be scared because you know what it is and it won't trick you into falling off. It won't trick you into leaving your faith. It won't trick you into dropping things by yourself and then ending up devoured. Be anxious for nothing. If you're not anxious, you can't get thrown off. I've seen it time and time again. I can tell who the weak link was on any particular football game just by looking in their eyes back when I played because those who were anxious, those who were scared, that was the weak point. That was the part you attacked. That's who you kept running the ball at because they were scared and they were going to get off their game. Be anxious for nothing. And the peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. See, we got the power in the prayer, and if we get the power in the prayer, then we'll get the peace. The peace is the direct answer to the prayer anxiety. There are some things we cannot fully understand, but if we have the peace of God, we can be okay about it. I may not know exactly when and how God is going to get me out of these particular situations, 
but I can take peace in knowing that he will. And even if he doesn't, there'll be something that I will learn from it that I will be better on the other side about it. That's a peace that passes all understanding because that doesn't make sense. How can you be okay about something when you don't know how it's going to work out? It's a peace that passes all understanding. But it's experienced by those of us who are in Christ. We take peace in knowing that someone that we've never met, never seen before, did something 2,000 years ago that was going to affect us today. And not only affect us, but affect everyone around us. And not only affect us for a little bit, but affect us eternally. That doesn't make sense to other people. But it's peace, because I can believe it. Uh, The Bible says in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, it says, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints that is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That reason that we get that peace is Jesus. Because of Jesus, we are no longer strangers to God. Because of Jesus, we are free from sin. Because of Jesus, there is no condemnation. And because of Jesus doing all of those things by dying on the cross for our sins. And whoever believing in him not perishing and having everlasting life. Because of that we can rejoice. And we can rejoice always. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes on that won't last. Presidents come and go. Businesses come and go. Family comes and go. But one thing remains. Jesus Christ. The one who is the forgiver of our sins. That never goes away. And because that never goes away... I can always rejoice in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. The doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.